Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. Oh my gosh, Jolenta, I am so excited. Are you as excited as I am? Uh, yeah, I am very much excited. And listeners, do you want to know why Jolenta and I are so excited? I bet you do. It's because our How to Be Fine merchandise collection is available now. It is here. Woo. It is live at podswag.com slash be fine. That's podswag.com slash be fine. And Jolenta, Tell our beloved listeners about some of the amazing things in this merchandise collection. Oh my gosh, we have so much good stuff. Truly, it is a feast for the eyes, the things we have available. We have a travel mug, so you can be like Kristen, always drinking out of a travel mug and reusing <laughs> a tea bag. We have a super cute tank top that says, just fine, because that's what we are. We're just fine. <laughs> and of course... Kristen, a collection of ours would not be complete without something for the animals, because, as you know, we love an animal in clothes here on How to Be Fine. So we have a nice dog bandana that just says animal in clothes. Yes, we sure do. Oh, it's my favorite <laughs> thing. We had a huge hand in designing these items, and we're so excited for all of you out there to get your hands on them. So order your merch today, again, at podswag.com slash be fine. And once you get your swag, we want to see you in it. Take your photos with your merch on next to your candle and post it to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash Kristen Angelenta. Or you can email us your photos, kristenangelenta at gmail.com. And if you just want to post your photos on social media, use the hashtag HowToBeFinePod. We want to see you wearing your swag, enjoying your swag. So get it. Again, you can find these items and more at podswag.com slash befine. That's podswag.com slash befine. Hello and welcome to How to Be Fine. I'm Jalenta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. In each episode of How to Be Fine, we weigh in on what's happening in the world of happiness, health, and betterment. 
and we offer a bit of advice to those who want it. Now, full disclosure, we are not psychologists or psychiatrists or doctors in any way, shape, or form, but we are experienced self-help critics. We have lived by the rules of nearly 100 self-help books for our other podcast, By the Book, which is available in this feed if you scroll back. So we've tried on almost every kind of wellness trend there is out there. And besides, we're not here promising to make all of you the best, richest, happiest, most optimal versions of yourself. If all goes well, we'll just help you feel a little closer to fine. All right, Kristen, we have a couple of great advice letters to get to later in the show. But first, as we always do, we're going to kick things off with our hot topic. You have today's hot topic. Kristen, what is it? Today's hot topic is the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. Ooh, yes. This is your most favorite thing in the whole world, right, Kristen? Like, Putting people into categories, typology. <laughs> For those of you who cannot tell, I know you can all tell, Jolenta, you are being very sarcastic here. Yeah, a little or a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kristen has made it very clear that she hates anything that puts people in boxes, whether it's astrology or enneagrams, not into it. That is true. But... A lot of you out there are fans of typologies. You've written in again and again saying you want to talk more about them. And you're not alone. Jolenta is a fan of typologies. Many totally. of our friends are fans of typologies. And even my own dear husband, Dean, who is a very scientific person for the most part, liked the Myers-Briggs so much in the past that he even listed his Myers-Briggs type on his Tinder profile I swiped right on him anyway because he was cute, but I did that despite that Myers-Briggs hype, <laughs> not because of it. Yeah. So there you go. I'm surrounded by people who are into it, but I am not. Okay. So first and foremost, can you tell our listeners who don't know, what is the Myers-Briggs typology? All right. So the Myers-Briggs type indicator, also called the MBTI or just the Myers-Briggs for short, is an assessment that looks at our personality preferences. All preferences are self-reported via a questionnaire that includes anywhere from 100 to 200 yes-no questions. And those questions are focused on four categories. Those categories are introversion versus extroversion, sensing versus intuition, thinking versus feeling, and judging versus perceiving. An example of a question might be, are you sympathetic to other people? And then you would have to answer yes, no. And then do that again for maybe 99 or 199 <laughs> more questions. <laughs> Easy peasy. Yes. According to the MBTI, each person is said to have one preferred quality from each of those categories I just named, producing 16 unique types. So, for example, someone who is introverted, sensing, thinking, and judging would be an ISTJ. 
Oh, yeah. This ENFP hears you loud and clear. <laughs> I think that's what I was once when I took the quiz to put it on my OK Cupid profile way back in the day. Ooh, go, Dolenta. <laughs> so, Kristen, why was this assessment created? Who created it? Who are Myers and Briggs? So, the Myers Briggs was constructed by American mother daughter team Catherine Briggs and Isabel Myers. Briggs was first inspired to dig into personality types in 1917 when she met her future son in law whose personality she found to be, politely speaking, quite different from the other members of her family. From there, she began reading biographies and more closely observing those around her, eventually creating a typology with four temperaments. But a few years later, when psychiatrist Carl Jung published his 1921 book, Psychological Types, she observed that his work resembled but went far beyond her own. So, along with her daughter, she studied more of Jung's work, and eventually the two expanded on Briggs' original typology while aiming to put it to practical use. So, let's talk about that practical use. In 1944, they published the Briggs-Myers Type Indicator Handbook with the belief that a knowledge of personality preferences would help women entering the workforce for the first time to identify the sorts of wartime jobs that they would be the most comfortable and effective in. Wait, so like Rosie the Riveter would have maybe taken the Briggs-Myers type indicator test and been like, I should be a Riveter. Yes, exactly. Based on like the fact that I'm an ENTP, PT. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. And then in 1956, the test was republished as the Myers-Briggs type indicator, and it's been going strong ever since then, being used by human resources professionals, life coaches, career counselors, educators, and people looking to get more insight into their personalities. So that, in short, is what the Myers-Briggs is and where it came from. Okay. Okay. So based on what I've heard thus far, I'm sure you have a lot of very legitimate criticisms of the MBTI, but I'm hoping you might have some positive points that you could share with us first. Well, you know what? I'm going to save the best for last because I want to end things on a positive note Okay. because I promise you I'm not just going to say negative things. But okay. Okay. I am going to say the negative things first. Okay, <laughs> fine. Negative first. <laughs> All right. So my first criticism of the Myers-Briggs is that Catherine Briggs and Isabel Myers were not actually psychologists or scientists. Briggs was homeschooled and eventually went on to earn a college degree in agriculture. Myers, like her mother, was also homeschooled and eventually earned a college degree in political science. Neither of them undertook coursework in psychometric testing. Instead, Myers learned the rudimentaries of test construction, scoring, validation, and statistical methods from the head of personnel that would be called human resources nowadays at a Philadelphia bank. And both went in with very strong biases, among them that nobody with an IQ under 100 was worth testing because they didn't have the cognitive abilities to differentiate their own preferences. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Wow. There's more. <laughs> 
did maybe her son-in-law have a low IQ? Because I just love that meeting her future son-in-law is what like prompted her to start (laughs) doing this. And I feel like it was maybe a way to lay out some like reasoning why he might suck or something. (laughs) I'm just guessing. You you think because they weren't actually scientists. You think that's what it was about, Jolanta? Could be. Just low could IQs be. and bad personalities? Yeah, they could be like, I think this guy's dumb and I want to label him as a bad personality. Here's here's a way to do it magically. Just a thought. Just a thought. A total possibility. Total yeah. possibility. All right. So my second criticism is that there's little evidence of people actually falling into firm dichotomies of personality, like introversion versus extroversion or thinking versus feeling. Studies published in the Journal of Personality, the Journal of Abnormal and Social Psychology, the Journal of Career Planning and Employment, and dozens of other scientific publications have found that the vast majority of people fall somewhere near or at the middle of those yes-no question tests. And even Jung himself said that most people are just in the middle. That makes sense. I mean, I remember, like, testing as an extrovert with the Myers-Briggs thing, and I'm not, really. (laughs) But maybe you were by one question. But, like, maybe I fall more in the middle. Maybe I'm a bit of both. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Speaking of which, Jolenta, that gets to my third criticism— And that's that according to the Myers-Briggs official website, if the assessment is done properly, you never have to take it again. Your type is your type, and that's who you are. But according to studies published by the American Psychology Association and other reputable organizations, that's just not true. Our self-reported preferences change with age, education, life experience, trauma, and even mood on top of that. Research published by journals like The Australian Psychologist have found that between 39% and 76% of people taking the Myers-Briggs on different occasions get different results even after only five weeks. So, Jolenta, it's possible that maybe you did test as an extrovert just because of your mood that day, and a few weeks later, maybe you would have had a different result. I feel like on the next day, I could have had a different result. (laughs) My fourth criticism is that the MBTI may not even be measuring personality preference. As early as the 1960s, Myers had begun to identify which types were more likely to go on to college, be awarded merit scholarships, and have certain careers or college majors. But I just have to say, this sounds less like it's due to personality type And possibly it's more about socioeconomic background and the subconscious and conscious identifiers that go along with our socioeconomic backgrounds. Is that really that you have this personality or is that from a certain environment, you are more likely to be vocal about this or quiet in this situation, you know? Does having (laughs) more money make you more desirable to like invite to parties, thus you're more extroverted or whatever. Thank you. Yes, that's a great illustration, Jolenta. Exactly, exactly. My fifth criticism is that of the studies that do support the validity of Myers-Briggs, nearly half are conducted by the Center for the Application of Psychological Type, which was founded by Isabel Myers and aims to promote the Myers-Briggs. Oh. Or as papers in the Journal of Psychological Type, which, surprise, is supported by sales of the Myers-Briggs indicator. Oh, 
Oh, interesting. It's kind of like those cosmetics ads that say up to 80% of women see a difference, but their study authors are all working for the cosmetics company. Yeah, like (laughs) if you're conducting your own studies to essentially promote your product, like they're not the most reliable studies. Exactly. And my sixth criticism, you touched on this at the very top, Jolenta, but I'm just going to go hard on it, pigeonholing. I freaking hate people being put into categories. The MBTI, as we know, is used all the time to pigeonhole people and not just on dating profiles. According to their own website, it's used for a number of human resources purposes in quotes. What are those purposes? Well, not according to the Myers-Briggs, but according to a number of other studies, including some conducted by Vox, 89 of the Fortune 100 companies use the Myers-Briggs to separate employees and hires into different types. So do 200 federal agencies, including the State Department and the CIA. All of this, despite the fact that most studies find zero correlation between Myers-Briggs types and job performance. I'm sorry, the CIA? (laughs) I know. So, like, someone could be, like, typed into, like, being good to deal with aliens when they're not. Yes, that's right. This is freaking me out. Do we really want those people dealing with extraterrestrials? I don't think we do. 89 out of the Fortune 100 companies? That is (laughs) a lot. It is. But, Jolenta, as promised, I did also compile some positives about the (laughs) Myers-Briggs. What are those? I know people want to hear them, so I am going to name off several of them. Not just one or two, but I have several of them. So first and foremost, defenders of the Myers-Briggs say that Catherine Briggs and Isabel Myers have been debunked largely because of misogyny. They are victims of people underestimating them because they're women, And the fact is that their lack of advanced degrees doesn't make them stupid. And in fact, a number of other respected thinkers like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, they never got advanced degrees and we're not hard on them. So why are we being hard on Myers and Briggs? I do have to say, when you brought up the dates of when this started being developed, the early to mid 1900s, I was thinking like, You know, that is kind of impressive for women at that time. And when you were like, they didn't get degrees in psychology, they got these other degrees. I was like, they were getting degrees at the time, which was still a bit forward thinking. It wasn't in the right area. So, like, I do see where this is coming from. Like, they were doing the best with with the resources they had-ish. Yeah. And women, to a great extent, were shut out of institutions of higher learning. And so... It's possible that maybe in another world, they would have gone to Columbia and gotten PhDs in psychology. Who knows? Maybe. (laughs) All right. So the second positive I want to get to is that defenders also point to the fact that the MBTI has been supported by a number of scholars and institutions over the years. These include Donald McKinnon, head of the Institute of Personality and Social Research at the University of California, Berkeley. That is one of the premier research institutions in the world. UC Berkeley is no joke. W. Harold Grant, who's a professor at Michigan State University and Auburn University, both of those, and Mary H. McCauley of the University of Florida. So it's not just people with zero education who have been fans of the MBTI. A number of really esteemed 
institutions have supported it. Yeah. And it, not just like studies that they funded supporting it, but like actual other people supporting it. Yes. Third, any pigeonholing done with the MBTI is not, according to defenders, the fault of the MBTI. According to their very own website, the MBTI assessment is not intended for use as part of a hiring process, nor to assign people to specific teams, roles, or functions within an organization. They make that clear, although, full disclosure, I'm kind of confused by that because they also on their website really boast about the fact that HR departments love it. So I'm not really clear on that. But I felt it was worth including. Fourth, the Myers-Briggs can actually have certain benefits for some individuals. It can be jumping off point for self-exploration. You know, you can be answering those questions and think about certain qualities in yourself that you have or want to have. It can serve as a mood boost because every single trait is framed in a positive light. Unlike the Enneagram, as you may remember, Jolenta, we looked by an Enneagram book once, and every trait there was described in a negative light. So, you know, the Myers-Briggs can just make you maybe feel good about yourself for a few minutes. And, of course, for some people who like taking, you know, BuzzFeed quizzes to see what Harry Potter house they might live in in the imaginary world, Myers-Briggs can just be fun. And if you're just having fun with it, what is the harm in that? Enjoy having some fun, right? So there you go. Did you see that, Jolenta? I just gave four potential positives about the Myers-Briggs. I'm proud of you. She did it, everyone. (laughs) She doesn't unilaterally hate it. (laughs) So now, with all of that out of the way, Jolenta, let's Mm -hmm. get to your Myers-Briggs type. You said that you know in the past you took the test. You may have been an extrovert. You even included this on an OkCupid profile. Yeah. Did you take it just for fun? Were you doing it in a work setting? What was your situation? I took it because a guy I liked said he took it for some like career counseling outside of school. I think I was in college and it was like a guy from high school and we were like home for the summer and he liked it. And he's like, I'm putting it on my OkCupid profile. And I was like, me too. Like, that's why I did it. And I was like, I don't know, maybe he'll like me more if I do this. And we did end up hooking up and it wasn't because of the Myers-Briggs. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. (laughs) But that's my extent. And I did sort of take it in the same vein of all these other personality quizzes online where I'm like, I don't know how much I trust this. But I, unlike you, sometimes enjoy categories because if they're not used against people, they can be fun jumping off points for like talking about who you are, relating to people in different weird ways. You know, I personally like to do it over astrology a bit more than Myers-Briggs. But, you know, it's a fun jumping off point for conversations. What about you, Kristen? How do you feel about Myers-Briggs? How do you feel about being married to someone who had (laughs) Myers-Briggs in their dating profile as well? Well, first, I have to confess, I did the Myers-Briggs at one point. I did it the first time when I was 18 years old, working my first full-time job. And I worked in an HR department in human resources. I was a seasonal staff recruiter for a mail order catalog company. And I was recruiting people to work in the warehouse, work in the call center, and so on. And as a team building exercise, 
the head of HR decided we should all take the Myers-Briggs type indicator. And I remember at the time, we all thought it was super fun. And also, I was 18, though, and I think I may right. have just been excited because I had a full-time job. And I was like, look at me. I'm growing up. I'm doing what grown-ups do doing grown up work. shit. We took a yeah. test. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm not totally sure that I got anything out of it other than, like, my fellow teammates and I at work. We had a good laugh about it. But even then, I will say this. I was like, how can I answer yes, no on some of these questions? Aren't we all gray areas? Like, the question, are you sympathetic to others? Like. Well, sometimes. Most of the time. Yeah. But all the time? Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm just like, get out of the way. Or I'm like, I'm not going to sympathize with a murderer. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to sympathize with a murderer. I'm not going to sympathize with the person who is blocking the door of the subway when I'm trying no. to get off. Even if there might be really good reasons why they're blocking the door, I'm not always going to be understanding there. Right? So I remember even back then thinking things like that, like, how can I answer yes, no right. on all these questions? This is bananas. It was fun, though, but I didn't take it seriously then. And as I said, I was not pleased that Dean had it on his dating profile. <laughs> and I did mention it to him. I just did this in the last couple of years. I mentioned to him, like, mm. you do know the Myers-Briggs isn't really scientific, right? Like, any sort of peer-reviewed research that's been done has found it to be completely bogus, right? Just made up, yeah. <laughs> and he had no idea. He didn't know. Many of the workplaces he'd been in over the years, he was required to take it. He's right. in management, as you know. He's a C-level person. And throughout the years, management teams, they make their people do this. And so <laughs> he took it so many times over the years, and he just never questioned whether or not it was scientific. He thought it was. And after I said that, he felt like a chump. And I'm like, you're not a chump, honey. You just didn't know. You didn't know. Big. If he's a chump, we're all chumps. So then, like, we just <laughs> didn't. We all just didn't know. Yeah. I think most people still don't know the background of the Myers-Briggs. They don't know about the son-in-law. They don't know about the IQ. I love that it was initiated by, like, hmm, this personality is real different. Like, ah, <laughs> oh, what a joy. Like, what mother-in-law hasn't wanted to come up with shit like that? <laughs> so, Jolenta, knowing all of this stuff that I brought to the table today, does it change your mind at all on typologies? Does it change your mind that you love astrology? Does it change your mind on any of this stuff? Uh, yes and no. I feel like I I see the Myers-Briggs test as more funny now <laughs> just because of its origins. Like, I can't get over it. It's just a mother and daughter being like, this guy. <laughs> so I love that. But that definitely, like, I didn't take it super seriously to begin with. And now I take it even less seriously. And I think it's just a good reminder that, like, all typologies, if you dig in the background, are kind of made up. But. I still like having fun with them, and I'm not going to, like, not check my astrology once in a while. Well, listeners, what about you? Are you in Jolenta's camp? Do you want to continue having fun with personality profile indicators? Do you think that they're all malarkey? What, what do you think? Share your story with us at kristenangelenta at gmail.com or weigh in on facebook.com slash groups slash kristenangelenta. We want to hear from all of you and feel free to share your types if you want to as well. Coming up, 
a letter writer is relocating and wants tips for making friends in her new town. Hey, everyone. We're back with our first letter of the day. Jolenta, tell us what they have to say. Our letter writer has this to say. Dear Kristen and Jolenta, I just completed graduate school and my partner and I are moving from Chicago to Denver this weekend. I have some family in Denver, but my partner has quite a few close friends in the area already. I don't want to be too reliant on my partner or family to meet my social needs. I'm perfectly happy with some quality alone time as I can be a little shy and I like to recharge. But I also want to build some new connections with some lovely people. Oh, well, letter writer, huge congratulations on completing graduate school. Yay! Big congratulations on this next step. Denver is a great town. I went to high school for a year in Denver. I still have friends and family in Denver. Denver is great. I I hope you love it. I really hope you do. Yeah. I don't know anyone that lives in Denver currently, but all of like the nicest people I met in college were all from Denver. So I feel (laughs) like that's a good sign. When it comes to making friends, I have some advice, something that helped me when I finished school in New York and like a lot of my friends left was finding things I like to do and doing them alone at first and then accidentally making friends. Those are the friends that have like really stuck around. There have been some friends I've like tried to force where I'm like, I see this person at the coffee shop every day. I'll say, hey, and we'll be friends. Sometimes that doesn't work. But (laughs) often I have found a shared interest in something helps build a friendship. It just helps give you shit to talk about for like the first few hangouts. And it's a way you can always like go back to to relate to each other. It's just nice to have some sort of like it feels like almost like a shared language with someone, whether it's, you know, at a pottery class. And in my case, I made some friends through seeing them a bunch at different open mics. And we had stories that all sort of reminded each other of ourselves. And the three of us kind of ended up grabbing a drink, then grabbing a coffee, then like just a hangout at someone's house. And before you knew it, like, whoops, we've been friends for like a decade. So (laughs) I find a class or an activity that really gets you going will help you meet other people who tend to be lovely and like the same shit. Yeah, I second that because even if you don't meet friends right away, you'll be having a good time because you're doing something that you want to do, something that brings out the best in you, something that you enjoy. So I second everything Jolenta is saying. Oh, also volunteer dog walking is a good one. Oh, if you like dogs and if you like walking, absolutely. Yes. yes. I know some animal shelters have volunteer like cat petting too, if you just want to give some love to animals and find other animal lovers. Always a good one. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that actually is one of the things on my list, Jolenta, of how I've met friends is volunteering. And, you know, volunteering, it can be an occasional thing. It can be a daily thing. It can be all sorts of things. Like in my neighborhood, for example, I'm involved in my community fridge. And it's Mm. just such a joy to be able to 
meet the neighbors, stock the fridge, hang out with other people on big meal give out days, and you know, know that this is something we care about together and something we care about as a community. And it's a lot of fun to do. So yeah, I second Love the volunteering one. idea. I also have met friends through, as you know, Joe Linton, I think most listeners know this. I've been in the same book club for over a decade now. That book club was actually started by somebody who moved to New York didn't have any friends yet. And so she started a book club and posted it on, I think, meetups.com. And then all of us became friends. The founder of that book club has since moved three more times. In each town, she started a new book club that still exists to this day. Shout out to Allie. Allie, I think you still listen to the show. So you know I'm talking about you. Allie, you're a book club superstar. Yes. So our letter writer here, I'm saying maybe you can be the one to start the book club in Denver. And it can be any kind of book club you want. It could be, you know, if you like young adult novels, if you want to do a women's book club, if you want to do a sci-fi book club, a graphic novel book club, you can do a book to movie book club, which those are always fun because then you can go to movies together with your new friends too. So there's lots of kinds of book clubs that you can be involved with. I'd also recommend doing something where you have to see the same people week after week or day after day. Maybe that's getting a part-time job. So when I moved to Denver, I knew nobody. And even though I was in high school and should have been meeting a lot of friends there, it took me a couple of months to really get my footing in my high school. And where I met most of my friends initially was getting a part-time job at a restaurant. And restaurants are just a really social space. They're a lot of fun. So that might be something worth exploring too, getting a part-time job either as a barista or in food service or hospitality, because those are such social settings and there's so much to bond with your coworkers over, even if what you're bonding (laughs) over is just like, oh my God, this is terrible. (laughs) It's a horrible customer. (laughs) Yes. So those are a few tips, but I also just want to give you a few words of assurance here that it's okay if you don't meet friends right away. A lot of people take weeks, if not months, when they get to a new town just to kind of get their legs, to kind of like feel at home, to feel like they even know where is the closest post office, to know where do I go when I need this? How is the highway system set up here? Can I take a right on a red light in this town? You know, just figuring that stuff out can take weeks or months. So if you don't have new friends right away, please don't be hard on yourself. Right. It's not easy or normal to just immediately land in a place and have a bunch of new friends. Oh, one last thing I just want to add here. Something else that's made it easier for me to find friends whenever I've moved to a new place is finding the hubs. And by hubs, I mean those people who have a million spokes coming out of them. Like think of a wheel. You know the person who has a million friends? You know, they're like the hub of the wheel and every spoke seems to come out of them. Meet a hub in your interest area, in your community, in your apartment building. That hub person will know so many other people. And when I moved to New York, it was my friend, Sarah. She just happened to be one of those hubs. And because of her, I made probably 12 friends in my first year in New York. So meeting a hub can help a lot. And hubs, they usually make themselves known because they want to know you because they want to know the new person. So like, (laughs) you might be like, fuck, where do I find this hub Kristen's talking about? But it's like, it's that person in your building that's like, hey, what are you guys up to? Like, what do you do? You know, they're the person that also probably knows what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. 
And like Kristen was saying, don't beat yourself up. Like my mom moved to New York probably almost two years ago now. And she's just getting into the like, I'm finally settled and like can find friends phase. Sometimes it takes time. Yeah, it does. Especially in our pandemic world. We're still in the pandemic. And a lot of people have not really had their socialization skills at peak level over the last few years. A lot of people are not super good at like, how do I make friends? How, right, How right. do I socialize even with people I know at this point? Yeah, so, exactly. It's like yeah. we're still working on like <laughs> peeping our heads out of our shells. So yeah, yeah, give yourself grace. Give yourself time. I hope you have a blast in Denver. You're going to kick ass. You are. You're going to have a great time. We're thrilled for you. We're going to take another quick break. But before we do, would you take a hot second to rate us and review us wherever you're listening in your podcast player? It helps people find the show. It helps us know how you're feeling about the show. And it takes like two seconds, just five little stars, maybe. (laughs) Plus, it just makes our day a little bit better. Yeah. Coming up, we hear from a letter writer who's feeling insecure around their in-laws. Stay with us. All right, we are back with our second letter of the day. Kristen, will you read this one? Yes, I will. Our second letter writer says, Dear Kristen and Jolenta, I'm going to be spending all weekend with my in-laws, and I get very anxious around them. I feel self-conscious, boring, dull, and feel like they are judging everything I'm doing with my three-year-old. Do you have any mantras or self-talk that you've found to be helpful in these types of situations? Yes. I don't have it nearly as as intense as you with a child and like parenting things being involved. But something I say to myself in situations like these is this isn't forever. This isn't forever. Like this is just for a few days. This is not forever. And it helps to remember that because in the moment it can feel so overwhelming and the only thing you care about But if you're able to like take a breath and just be like, this isn't forever, I just have to tolerate this or like breathe through this for another day or two, that has definitely helped me. Yeah, I think it's nice to have a little mantra. That's great. I'd also say it's good to have your partner on your team. If you can talk to your partner in advance and say, I feel anxious around your parents and I know that maybe some of it's valid, maybe some of it's not, but if you happen to witness something that's not just in my head, but something that's actually happening, like one of your parents is criticizing how I parent, or they're making snide remarks about my cooking, or the way I dress, or anything like that, would you just please be sure to be on my team? I could really use that extra loving care this weekend, because you know I get a little bit anxious around them anyway, but... If you witness anything like that, or if there's a signal I can give to you saying, hey, I really need you to step up and be running defense for me, I would really appreciate it. And I'm sure your partner would love to do that for you because your partner chose you. Your partner is not stuck with you. Your partner is actually your partner. Your partner actually has a child with you. They want to be on your team. Take advantage of that. Have them be on your team. Enjoy it. So that's another tip. And then also... 
a friend gave me this tip years ago, and I love this tip. Maybe treat the whole weekend more like an anthropologist than a daughter-in-law. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> like, look at that. Look at the way she chooses to criticize people. Look at the way he shows that he's better than other people. Let's think about this. Right. Why does he think his opinions are superior to mine or to my spouse's? How did their children turn out that they think they're so much better than what I'm doing with my kid? And maybe just laugh about it. Just observe, be critical, maybe actually learn something from time to time. But, you know, having that extra distance might actually help you take things a little bit less personally. And I like that that sort of like gamifies mm -hmm. taking a step back and makes it sort of a fun activity versus like something you have to force yourself to do once you're already worked up. And yes. I do have to say, like preemptively discussing insecurities or issues with your partner totally helps. Just to echo Kristen's message, when Brad and I were getting married, his mom kept bringing up whether or not things had to be kosher. And like, if you know me or if you listen to the show, you know, like, I have Jewish heritage. I come from a Jewish background, but I was raised pretty atheist, if not agnostically, by like a Catholic and a staunch former Jew, now atheist. So like, I'm not Jewish at all. Never been kosher. My parents have never taken me to a synagogue. I've only gone with other people. And so she kept bringing it up and I kept being like, no, no, like, don't worry. We're not like religiously Jewish you know, just culturally. She like couldn't quite get that. And I finally just was like, hey, Brad, when this comes up, can like you take care of it from now on? Because mm -hmm. I feel like it's not getting through and it's starting to like almost offend me. And he took care of it. He was like, hey, mom, she's not Jewish. Her family's not Jewish. They don't practice. And yes, they have a Jewish last name. Yes, they are like culturally, heritagely Jewish. But like, no one's kosher. You don't need to worry about like anyone being <laughs> Jewish. And that took care of it. And had I not vocalized it and discussed it with Brad beforehand, who knows how long I would have been like gently batting away the like, no, like, don't. You can have bacon here. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing I just also want to suggest, if it's possible, is to find some time every day over the weekend that you're not with your in-laws. Yes. Maybe that's going on a walk with your three-year-old or going to the playground because your kid's going to want to have fun too and do other things outside the house. Maybe it's you and your partner grabbing a coffee each day and bringing back coffee for the whole household. You know, just a little something where every day you know you can look forward to, I'm not around my in-laws right now. I'm doing something that's fun that's just for me or just for my own little family. So, Create that space for yourself. You deserve that too. Yes. Yes, I totally agree. Carving out time for you, time to be alone, time to sort of like decompress, very important. Well, letter writer, we know you've got this. Millions, if not hundreds of millions of people who are listening to the show right now have been through the same thing as you. We feel you and you're going to be just fine. And that's it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Huge thank you to our executive producer, Nora Ritchie, our producer, Chantel Holder, and our composer and engineer, Casey Holford. Reminder, you can always weigh in on the conversation. 
at facebook.com slash groups slash Kristen and Jolenta. That is our completely private Facebook community. You can also write to us at kristenandjolenta at gmail.com with comments or to ask for advice. You can also hit us up on Instagram at howtobefinepod. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jolenta Greenberg. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. See you next week. Until then, stay fine. Stitcher.